Welcome to Nobody Told Me That, your source for candid business talk and stories. Your host is speaker and author Teresa Duncan. Sit back, buckle up, and hang on. Hello, we are back again with another edition of Nobody Told Me That, and I am again reaching outside of the box and going to find all sorts of people out in dentistry who can bring some value to you in your drive to the office or during your workout or whenever it is that you listen to us. Today, I'm so glad to have Reese Harper here with me. Hey, Reese, how are you? Hey, Teresa. I'm really excited to be here. You've got a great thing going, and I, I'm excited to hear from your perspective as much of mine today. So, Well, I appreciate it. And, and Reese is with a company called Dentist Advisors, and we'll get into what he does in a little bit. But, you know, it's money. And that's what a lot of the listeners that for both of our podcasts, actually, you have your own podcast. A lot of our listeners, that's what they want to hear, how to manage the money, how to bring in the money and how to make sure that the money doesn't slip away. And maybe we can get into that part. Uh, a little bit later, but I want everybody to know that whenever somebody comes on, I have them give to me their nobody told me that topic. And you know, what's that one tip? And that's what I say to everybody. And yours blew me away because although I knew it, I was like, wait, this needs to get out more because I don't know if everybody knows this. And yours, just to remind you, Reese, was nobody told me that dentists retire six years later than the average American. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about that. And isn't that awful? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on who I ask if they think it's awful or not. Because some, some dentists like love practicing dentistry and they'll do it as long as they can. Like I was just at a big orthodontic conference recently and I asked the same question, like how many of you want to stop working? You know, it's not always the majority of people, but it's like, it's a big percentage of people that for whatever reason, they say they don't want to stop. Here's my kind of thought on this. Like most people want to at least change pace or once work is optional, they want to back off or they want to slow down. They want a vacation more. Most people want to slow down, right? Mm -hmm. Not people don't want to work with the same intensity, but there is something, you know, I'm just trying to say that the statistic isn't completely bad news because some dentists really are choosing to work later. But I, I do believe that, your, your original assumption when you read that quote is like, people, why are they retiring later? They should be retiring earlier. I mean, for, for a lot of these individuals, I feel like they're approaching working longer with a good attitude, but they, mm-hmm. they don't really want to. They're just trying to have the best attitude they can about having to work late. And they're, they're kind of stuck working longer than they want to in most cases. I think what blows my mind, though, is that the average dentist makes more than the average American, right? And you shared um, yeah. that it's like four times, I think, or was it six times or four times? I can't remember. The average dentist is probably about five times the average US income. So depending on the survey you'll read, if it's median income or average income, you know, mm. uh, dentists are going to be in that low to, you know, mid $200,000 range. If you look at like ADA statistics, yeah. If and if you look at the average American, it's going to be in the 50 to $60,000 range, depending on the survey. And so it's it's about five times, four to five times, um, depending on the, the sample of people. 
So dentists make four or five times the average American, but they retire six years later. I mean, on its face, like, you know, that, that looks like a bad statistic. It really does. Right. Like, and, and when I first saw it, I was like, dude, this is like really bad. Like what is going on here? Yeah. And that, that's what made me really focus on dentistry, really craft my whole business around it. Cause I was working with business owners. I was working with consultants and construction company owners, attorneys, CPAs, a, lo a lot of service-based professionals as a financial advisor from like 2003 to 2007. You know, I didn't pick dentistry as the exclusive focus of my business until I had been working with business owners for quite a while. And, and dentists struggled more with being happy with their money. They made more. They seemed and felt less happy to me um, because of the amount of financial pressure and anxiety they felt was greater than let's say the average business owner I was meeting with. And I think it was just because the, I know why. I mean, there's there's 10 reasons why that's the case, but one of them has to do with just their lack of time mm -hmm. in their day to do anything but production. And at any moment that they're not doing production, they're taking away from their income, right? And right. so they just, they don't really have time to focus on the business itself. And so, and, and if they don't hire a good consultant or a manager like you to help focus on some of the practice management areas that they need to be focused on, then they just neglect it, you know, for a long time. And if you ask a dentist, like why you're not making progress, most of them will say it's because I'm not, I don't have time to do everything. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to decide all these things. I don't have time to act and make all these changes until they get a team around them. It makes it really hard, but there's a lot of reasons why why it's happening. That's just, that's one of them. So I've done some work in the vet side and I've done some work on the, the healthcare side, the medical side. The one thing that I noticed on with both of those industries is that the rate of entrepreneurship is much lower. Dentists are more entrepreneurial. They're used to having their own shop. Whereas the vet industry, I mean, my goodness, there, there's only like three companies that own like all the vet hospitals in America. Yeah. And so, you know, most vets, for the most part, they are employed. And I guess it's probably a real easy guess that not being an entrepreneur takes a lot of that stress away. And, you know, you can, you can just work and enjoy life. And whereas being an entrepreneur is, as you and I know, you know, you're up nights, you're worried about cash flow. You're, you're wondering, you know, is, is this going to work? And I'm sure that that, that yes. takes years off your life mentally. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a critical distinction. And in the medical community, like you said, most people are W2, they work for a hospital, they work for a large medical group. I mean, doctors are becoming decreasingly independent from a, an entrepreneurial standpoint. Dentists also have a more complex financial situation than a veterinarian or than an attorney or than a CPA. Like dentists have massive amounts of debt. They have inventory. Um, on top of that, they have like a larger staffing. Dentists like profitability as at the firm level is lower than let's say tax or legal because there's more staff required and it's more it's a bigger business. A small CPA firm might do 400,000 in collections and keep 60, 70% of it. Right. Yeah. But a, a dental practice might do, you know, 800 to 1.1, just a single producer that's successful single producer. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same ratio of profitability that exists at a, a, some of these other services. So they have more staff is what I'm saying. Like they have a higher number of staff per dollar of revenue. And so that's complicated because you have more turnover. And every time you have turnover, then you have gaps. And, and then not only that, but dentistry doesn't have like a real traditional training model for the front, a challenge with like finding staff and, and retaining them and giving them like structure. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, 
So that's a big one. The business itself is more complicated, but their personal financial situation is more complicated too. Like if I build a personal financial statement for a veterinarian or a doctor, and we just add up all the assets and add up all the debts and just number of mm -hmm. account, number of assets, number of entities, number of debts, dentists will have three times the number of stuff to keep track of as a doctor would who's running his own practice. Like yeah. it's, there's just more accounts, more debts and more entities, more assets, more real estate. It's a different complexity. That's one reason why it's been harder to consolidate this industry. If it was just as easy to consolidate dental as it was medical, then there would be three big dental DSOs yeah. and that'd be it. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to consolidate it because these are complicated little businesses with a lot of staffing right. needs and the patients want different levels of service. You don't view dentistry as a commodity at all. Most medicine is viewed as a commodity, yeah, right? So Where dentistry is not. There's all these cool advantages to being a dentist, like because it's more complex and because you are have to be an entrepreneur and because you have to do the work and do the marketing and all the stuff, all these other reasons why it makes it hard to retire on time. The opportunity is still really big. It's big. It's a bigger opportunity. And to me, that's motivating. I want the complexity give me it's right like give me complexity give me the challenge tell me that something's going to be hard and i know that'll be worth it it'll be worth working in that because i'll the upside right. will be great that's my summary of, of a couple of the things that i think make it a great opportunity too but also make it why they retire later because if you don't staff up and you don't delegate and you don't get a team and you don't hire the right you know coach mm -hmm. consultant financial advisor the right cpa the right attorney like it'll just break you down slowly over time to the point you're like oh Oh, I hate this. I, hate I will inevitably yeah. run into a dentist who maybe is in their late 40s and I'm, I'm in my late 40s too. And so this whole career, they've not had a consultant. And I know at that point, if they tell me I've never had a consultant, that's going to be an issue because there's just going to be, you know, yeah. patch, patch, patch systems that are going on in their office. But I, and that doesn't mean it's unsolvable. It just means it's going to be a lot of work because old habits die hard, yeah. like you were saying. I want to go back to the commodity part because that I think is one of the biggest industry changes we're running into now is, you know, on the medical side, you absolutely patients see their healthcare as a commodity and, and commodity, you know, really just means something that you can compare, you know, apples to apples and buy on your own. And of course it's subject to review. It's, it's something you purchase. Price becomes the thing you focus on, right? Like in a commodity based business, it's all about price. Like mm -hmm. gasoline is a complete yep. commodity and it's all about price. Yeah, and as evidenced by my dad who will drive the next town over to get five cents less in gasoline. <laughs> You know, he's old school and yeah. I love him, but it just yeah. drives me insane if I'm trapped in that car with him and have to go that mm. extra mile. <laughs> so I get that, but, yeah. but here's yeah. what I I see happening in dentistry as, of course, it's and it's the insurance impact. It's got to go back to that. Um, as there's more coverage and patients get more used to somebody else paying the healthcare bill, we're starting to see that. I am starting to see that change in attitude in patients towards dentistry and turning into a commodity. I don't think it's as prevalent as it is in medicine, but I definitely see shades of that starting to happen. And what is distressing to me is that dentists should and, and teams should and could be addressing the services, not as commodities, but as actual, you know, here's a skill and a talent that we've got and we can help you with this. But when I used to go in to offices and listen, the conversations were more like, okay, well, you know, it's going to be $100 here and $100 there. And it just gets to be this, it is 
becoming a, a product base and and that's really distressing to me so i i don't know how you feel or how you've seen insurance and carriers impacting the retirement or the the cash flow of your clients i mean what are you seeing there pricing work in dentistry is so critical i mean ideally right you would have zero insurance penetration and you'd have a hundred percent fee uh, based practices with unlimited price sensitivity, meaning like, you know, patients will pay anything, all cash, no questions asked. I like this world that you're speaking of. This is a good world. But that's not the Nate, you know, <laughs> yeah, like where, do, how do we go there? Like that's not the case in, in almost any industry. And, you know, my industry has a really unique um, parallel to this that's that I've had to protect myself against that dentists could probably learn from. Let, let's just focus on their story and I'll tell you a little bit about mine. But I, I think there are costs, like dentists are not, they are not familiar with the cost of what we call the job to be done. And in, in software theory or in any like business or entrepreneurship theory, they try to get you to break apart the service. If you're in a service-based business or a software platform, it's going to deliver a service. They say, figure out what it is that the job is that the customer wants to have done. So if it's a filling, it's a, it's a single surface filling, figure out what the cost is to do that profitably. If it's a full mouth restorative case, figure out what the cost is to do that profitably. If it's a single implant, fill, you know, figure out what the cost is. There has to be a true cost. That's UCR in the dentist world, right? But in a lot of cases, they don't actually pay attention. Like they, that doesn't mean anything to them, really. UCR is not, most dentists don't actually fundamentally believe they deserve that money. <laughs> they they just know that they're going to get paid in a ton of different ways from a ton of different providers. And then it all gets averaged together and they hope that that makes money. And at the end of the day, the problem is like all services mm -hmm. are not, they don't all cost the same to deliver. And they're different. If you get reimbursed at a different rate, that's making like some of your people pay for something that other people were not willing to pay for, but you gave them the same thing. And I'm just highlighting a huge problem, but I don't know how bad I want to make people feel about this. It's a systemic problem. Like if, if I get 500 bucks from one patient and 800 bucks yeah. from another patient, and it costs me the same to do that job, my rich patient has better insurance is subsidizing the other person that's not got the same plan. And I, I shouldn't, right. in an idealistic world, I wouldn't let that happen, right? You wouldn't allow that to happen. You'd say, it's actually a thousand bucks each person. It says a thousand dollar service, either one. One of your insurance mm -hmm. has paid me 800 and one of your insurance has paid me 500. You don't sell them on the insurance at all. You sell them on the cost of the fee. And if they have insurance, mm -hmm. it helps recuperate some of that cost. Great. If not, that's the cost. Absolutely. Like that's the only way to protect yourself long-term, right? But it's really hard to do in some markets that just doesn't, but I, I'm just saying that's the work you have to do as a dentist. If you want to make sure you're not allowing your margins to erode, you're, you're protecting your futures. You can't just be like blind to this pressure that you're going to continually get mm -hmm. from insurance reimbursements. And you have to figure out how you're going to make money wow. no matter what. And you got to solve that problem. You can't be blind to it or, and that's, right, I know. <laughs> by the way, it's not even what I do for a living. Like I don't even do this job. But I have a strong opinion about it, and I feel like dentists neglect it quite often. In my business, there's a remarkable correlation. I'll tell you about my business story after you respond to my rambling. Oh, no, no, you're, ramb you're not rambling. No, I, I do think that it's something that is, is ignored um, more often than it should. I mean, I, the fact that 
we as managers, you know, I come from the management side of things and we, we know that the dentists are constantly apologizing for charging so much. They guilty yeah. for charging a lot. And as a result, they're constantly giving courtesies and it just drives us insane because they give a courtesy. I mean, pretty much, are you breathing today? Good. Here's a 20% courtesy. And it just mm-hmm. should not be that way. And so um, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know exactly. I, I mean, I think it's nature of being a healthcare provider. You, you kind of feel guilty for being paid for what you really are born to do. But at the same time, you're right. You can't lose track of the margins. And when you add up, you know, salary, processing fees, materials, everything that we talked about, you're giving away 20% courtesy on something. That's that's a huge hit on the bottom line. And that's, you know, who are you going to apologize to? The patient? Or are you going to apologize to your family down the road when, when that really is what makes a difference? So... Um, I think we both feel yeah. very strongly about this, but it's. It, I really do believe, though, that until a doctor or a business owner sees it all laid out, like on a big giant table with spreadsheets and numbers, you know, you and I are going to talk about, and it could sink in a little bit, but until they see their numbers and or until they see the impacted yeah. them, it really is so ethereal out there. You know, they don't. It's hard for them to grasp. So I I get why it's yeah. a problem. Yeah. But it, gosh, I wish it would be yeah. easier to bring it home. So. Well, that's the, that's the slow part about building a services business that you and me build is that people don't, you know, and we don't expect people to to get it right away, but they really won't get it until they have a chance to put their own numbers in, touch it and feel it and then go, oh man, it finally makes sense to me. This finally makes sense. For example, oh man, I was making $240,000 a year, but now I'm making 330000 And all I did was I, I just made it a little bit more clear to my patients mm-hmm. on what it would cost for them to work with me. Yeah. Right. And, and that's all I did was just make sure that treatment coordinator or as I sold dentistry or as my hygienist sold dentistry, like we're just really clear and we had a very simple way of doing pricing and, and we, we explained things more clearly and we let people know that um, insurance isn't like, like we just let people know they have choices and these choices they get to pick from uh, allow them to have certain benefits from our practice and their insurance may or may not cover all of those. I think the more that you can get patients to see insurance as the commodity, yes. as opposed to your dentistry as the commodity, like don't let the worst thing you can do is just be like, I don't know, we'll check with your insurance and see what it covers. Just so you know, your insurance like has a, con- a little bit of a conflict of interest <laughs> regarding your dental care, right? <laughs> like they actually don't care like what the best treatment is for you. They just want to reimburse the least amount they possibly can. And if you let them live that way and you never are willing to like pay for the right treatment, like you're going to end up getting stuck with a mediocre um, service uh, from any dentist you work with. and so if you can get patients to buy into that, then they change their well, mind. Well, and, right? and you just you just really like triggered my PTSD when you said, we'll just see what the insurance has to say about it and we'll send it away and, and see what they, like I just, like I'm already twitching when you said that because I can't yeah, tell you how good, many times I've, I've had to coach people away from that. Yeah. You know, it, it sets the example that we are checking with them. They're the ones in yeah, control of that totally. situation. So, so Reese, tell me a happy story then. Tell me your story. <laughs> to get me out of this. Oh, well, my, like my story, it's not easy, right? It's not easy, but I've, I've been able to like in my business, there's a big commodity is like, it's kind of like the mystery of the financial planning industry for quite a while is that building like an investment portfolio right now, like you can go and build one 
online at Vanguard mm-hmm. for free. Um, you can go set one up through Wealthfront or Betterment or a, a number of apps that are really great tools coming out of Silicon Valley right now. You can go and hire your brother-in-law in your local city to like build your investment <laughs> portfolio. But like, there's a lot of investment portfolios being built. And candidly, you know, that they are very different, kind of like, I wouldn't ever say like every filling is the same because it's not right. People aren't hiring you to give them filling. People aren't hiring you to replace the paint. People are hiring you to take ownership of their oral health in a comprehensive way. They're hiring you to look at their entire mouth and say, given everything I know about you, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a a comprehensive treatment plan that like I can follow throughout your life. And you're, you're signing up for me to guide you through making decisions and executing things. You're not coming in for a crown. You're not coming in for an implant. You're not coming in for a, a filling. You got to get away from people thinking that you're, you're patch working their pain, right? You're, they're coming to you in, in business. We call it the core functional job right. to be done. And the core functional job is different than related jobs. Related jobs, Clayton Christensen's this really famous Harvard Business School professor that everyone really admires his research. And he coined some of these terms, core functional job and related job. And this is a, it's a big groundbreaking study that you know, a lot of people base their business model on. And related jobs are things that support the core functional job. Meaning if the core functional job of dentistry is to take care of someone's total oral health or make you make your mouth mm-hmm. healthy. If that's the core functional job, then fillings are a related job and crowns are a related job and hygiene and perio treatment, they're all related. And so the more you can get away from being the person that is the related job person, the better. Like the more you can stay away from getting stuck and pinned down on being only the person that deals with the related job, um, the better off you are because you're not be, you're not a commodity then. You're the person that's right. looking at the big picture. You are the person that's guiding their comprehensive oral health. And in in financial planning, investments and managing investment portfolio with your brother-in-law or Vanguard or something, you can get where I'm going with this. It's really a related Mm -hmm. job, right? It's not the core functional job to be done. The core functional job of financial planning is like, give me a complete and accurate picture of my entire financial picture and then help me decide and act and make decisions on that big picture. If I'm just an investments guy, right, and I'm just managing an account, and I don't understand your practice valuation or your real estate holdings, or your debt or your insurance policies or your state plan or your kids or like, or if I just leave one thing out, even if you're just missing a few things, like you're still not solving the whole job and people don't, they don't like working with the person that doesn't solve the exactly. whole job. Whatever job you're solving, solve the whole job and don't leave parts of it out. And so a lot of financial advisors, they're just, they're setting up a Roth IRA or they'll set up a 401k or they'll set up a brokerage account and clients get frustrated with that over time, but I still feel unorganized. I still feel like I don't have this, you know, complete and accurate view of my situation. You're not making all the decisions with me that need to be made. Like you're not helping me with all these other jobs that you're leaving on my plate. And so what we did, which go ahead, you were going to say something. I, I want to get your input before I make my point. Oh, no, 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 go ahead. What we did was say, okay, everyone, this, the industry is like commoditizing right now and managing people's money is actually the cheapest part of core functional job. The core functional job being give me a complete and accurate picture and make decisions for me and help me act, right? Mm-hmm. You do that big picture thing for me. Well, investments is just one part of it. What we said was let's establish some, some fees that correspond to services that people want. We have one that's 
800 bucks a year. We have one that's like three grand a year, one that's 8,000 a year, one that's 12,000 a year or 15,000 a year. We have different possible service packages. If you want us to manage money, meaning if if fees come in from us managing your accounts because we have to manage these things, then we'll just discount the fee that we have to charge because now we're doing this related job for you, the managing your 401k, and we don't have to charge you as much anymore for the whole big picture because we're getting some revenue from this 401k. Right, right. If someone doesn't want me to manage their 401k or they don't want me to be this investment person because their brother-in-law is going to do it or their cousin's going to do it, then I'm like, well, that's fine. I'll still tell you whether I think he's doing a good job and I'll give you the, the right like advice around investing and I'll do this big job that I know you want done, which is look at the big picture and tell me all of the things that I should decide and do from in all these areas. It's going to start costing you more if you have all of these people doing all these jobs and I only need to make what I told you I need to make. You know, I only mm-hmm. I have this I need to make seven hundred bucks a month or I've got to make nine hundred dollars a month for this service. So I basically went to a model where I have a a UCR schedule that you got to pay whether your insurance kicks in or not, you know, whether, (laughs) whether your investments kick in and pay me something or not. Like I have my UCR and that builds trust with people because they're like, okay, so if I have an insurance policy or like if I have $5,000 in an IRA and you manage that, then that doesn't offset my fee like very much. I'm like, no, because that like does that an IRA with $100,000 in it when billed at a, a you know at a, ver- at a at the fair amount or like what that costs that doesn't generate a lot of revenue or that's not a big job you know that's not an expensive thing to do and so if a patient comes in and and you say you know the right way for me to do a comprehensive periodontal you know exam and a, a, the, my, for our comprehensive hygiene program it's this much money and your insurance is only willing to pay this much because they actually don't, they don't believe in the type of, comp, they don't believe the, the same way I do about comprehensive treatment, or they don't, you know, they don't believe in having this thing be a part of it. Then you can say, well, you can pay extra and have this one that that I think's the best one, or this you could have this lower model that your insurance company is willing to pay for. That this is my. $400 package is my $800 package. I recommend the eight, but your insurance company only pays for four. A lot of dentists do that, right? But they don't do it extremely right. well. And they don't believe that they have real prices that they need to be paid. And so when I started going to the point where we delineated what our services were, we let people pick from them. And then whether we get reimbursed from your investments or not, like that's up to that's up to the the dentist on whether they want us to do that job or not. And it, I think for us, it's really unlocked a lot of value, a ton of value, because we've been able to really feel like we're servicing everyone fairly. Like if you're paying, if you're a customer in our firm, you know, you're getting the same shake, the same deal that everyone else is getting and no one's getting a better deal than you or, you know, the, the rich people aren't subsidizing the poor people and the poor people aren't, you know, subsidizing the rich people. That's what happens a lot of times as an investment firm. Yeah. You've got, People with $5 million, they get way underserviced, while people with $500 get way over-serviced. And the truth is they don't need the same things. They're not even asking for the same things. And so- We see that in our industry with the equipment companies, with the the uh, manufacturers. Um, you know, If you're a big DSO, you get- preferential treatment and pricing. And if you're a solo, you know, small time doctor, you're not going to get that, that economy of scale that they've, that they've got in place there. So I I Mm -hmm. get what you're saying there. My point is, 
it's really dangerous if your pricing is based on some third party intermediary reimbursement. I mean, it's okay yeah. that that happens. I mean, I'm managing people's money because it's an important job and you're taking insurance just be because it's, it's an important thing to take. I mean, it's patients are already paying those premiums. You know, you, they might as well pay you that money, right? I mean, they might as well get right. you the reimbursement, but you shouldn't take a haircut. I, I don't. I just don't think Dennis really spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I do think their income would rise 30, 30 to 40%, you know, if they would just spend a little bit more time on this issue. I see it too. I mean, when I was full-time consulting, I definitely saw the ones who had a designated financial advisor uh, were, were better with their money if for no other reason than they were paying attention to it, which yeah. is really half the battle. So, and you know, the fees that go along with investing, I mean, they can really, gosh, they can really kill you. I remember learning about that when I was younger and my boss is who got me into investing and, and making sure my retirement plan was set up. And when he'd say, Hey, take a look at the service fees here and make sure that you're not getting hit with this fee. And it was eye opening. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. known that had he not taken me aside. You know, the, the, the amount that you're talking about as a fee for your services is not Honestly, in the scheme of things, it's not a lot of money. No, and, and a lot of clients, we have clients in every state. We have, we have dozens and dozens of inbound requests happening each week right now. I think we've priced our service at a really reasonable point, and we're doing a lot for it. We're just very transparent about what a fee gets you. And we've tried to keep our fees really reasonable. So like most people might be paying their financial advisor three times what they would be paying us. You know, we're going to be a third of the cost and we're going to deliver triple the value. And, and that's just the nature of where my industry is, is like investment management fees have been too high for too long. The financial advisors are not delivering hardly anything for that fee. And now we're saying, hey, you know what? We need these minimum amounts of money to run and operate on in, in these service models. If your investments are big enough to pay for that great if they're not just pay us these fee minimums like having a, a fee schedule that people can like pick from yeah. transparent and disclosed and obvious it makes it a lot more trustworthy um, and then we also don't get paid on commissions that for any products that we sell like we don't get paid on life insurance or loans or annuities or our fees are only paid by the client directly to us and so that helps our clients have a lot more trust that like we're actually working for them. I mean, we're invoicing them. They're paying us on a credit card. There's no like intermediary yeah. fee that's being shuffled around. And that's really, I mean, people just don't trust financial people. Like they just don't. Well, and you hear so many horror stories. You, you either get, you've either been burned or you know somebody that's been burned and that, that gets really, you know, you're distrustful, especially you're thinking, oh, this is my retirement money. But at the same time, if you don't do anything with it and it just sits there at minimal growth, then you know, that's totally. even worse, honestly. So um, I, I want to encourage everyone to go check out um, the website. Specifically, you have this program called Elements. And I was watching some of the videos and, and looking through it and, and your whole comprehensive yeah. approach to making sure that you're, you're, you're covering all aspects, retirement and um, all of that. And I want to talk to you about retirement as it pertains to staff. I'd really like to talk to you about that. But I was impressed because you have, you have all of this on there. Oh, and you know what? We should probably disclose that I'm not getting anything from this, right? Like we're not, this is, this is just me wanting to find out everything yeah, I yeah. can about you. So I'm not trying to say go sign up, like just go check out this video. It's all about the elements of investing. You've got your, your equity rate. I'm just going to read this off because I thought these were pretty cool. 
It's your equity rate, your profitability rate, your insurance rate, debt rate, debt rate, tax rate, savings rate, real estate stuff, and burn rate. I wasn't sure what you meant by burn rate. Can you explain um, that yeah, to me? Yeah, like your burn rate is your burn rate's the percentage of your annual income that you're Is that like how fast you're going through it? Yeah, that you're spending. Your your burn rate is like if I make if I make four hundred thousand dollars and I spend two hundred thousand dollars a year, then my burn rate is fifty percent. So you're at a 50% burn okay, rate. If you, your living expenses, your mortgage, all of your lifestyle and entertainment and cars, like whatever it takes you to like, like life and be happy, that, that is your burn rate. Mm -hmm. This periodic table that you're talking about of financial elements, it like answers, uh, answers a lot of questions. Like this system, basically all it's doing is it's getting your financial advisor and you to see a complete and accurate picture of your entire financial picture, your real estate, your savings, your retirement projection, your insurance, your personal spending, your estate planning, your taxes, your like everything that you could possibly think of around what decisions do I need to make, um, be making smart decisions. Like if I'm making smart decisions, we know that there's about, this is going to sound a little overwhelming, okay? There's a little, right now we've identified a little over 300 individual decisions that need to be made per calendar year in order to like be making good financial decisions. You have to at least assess mm -hmm. over 300 different items. And those 300 items right. might include like a lease renewal. You know, am I mm -hmm. properly evaluating my upcoming lease renewal? That might come up every year, but it might not. But at least 18 months in advance of a lease renewal, you should be like properly addressing that with a process. Uh, another one might be calculating the value of your practice. You don't want to hire a business appraiser every year and pay like five or six grand for, you know, evaluation or even maybe even a thousand to two thousand every year. But you can run an estimate of value based on a fixed percentage of your collections over the last 12 months that you're going to use as your like conservative number. So like every sure. every year you should be up, up, updating the value of your practice on your personal financial statement so that you know how much money you're going to get when you sell this thing. Because you need to know that in order to decide how you need to invest your money today. Because when you sell the practice, you're going to get this lump sum of cash and you're probably going to mm -hmm. spend that money. And that's going to affect the time that you have before you have to start spending your other investments. And so you need to know how much your practice is worth. So you know how to invest your IRA or your 401k because it might be that you don't need your 401k till you're 68 um, or 72 or 63, but you don't know that. Unless, yeah. So, I mean, I, there's a ton of questions, collections, your fee schedule, your disability insurance, your trust, your will, your kid's college, your total investment returns, your, uh, your risk in your investment accounts. I mean, current interest sure. rates on your loans. I know these questions and I know what, if you neglect them, then you have a problem. So these, this elements table, what it does is it kind of tells me when someone's situation is off. It kind of, it, it just measures when you're doing bad or good in an area. And it really simplifies things down into a process that you can trust. And so it's, it's, that's kind of why we have it. Well, one thing that I've noticed is uh, a lot more dentists are doing valuations on their practices because of various, you know, maybe not a lot more, maybe I'm just noticing it, but I just hear about it more often. They're doing these valuations because life is coming at them in all sorts of different directions. 
you know, you get one before you get married so that you have a baseline of what the practice is worth. And then if you go through a divorce, that's another valuation that you have to do as well. Bringing on an associate, then you can prove, you know, what kind of impact that associate has down the road if they want to eventually buy in, you know, have they contributed. And then there's the whole thing of, you know, now <laughs> do I want to sell to a large group practice and what is my practice worth? And then, you know, there's dentists I know that do it on a regular basis because they just want to know where they are and mm -hmm. and you know what does it look like now if I want to just pull up roots and go to Fiji which is you know great for them so if you haven't had your practice evaluated ever really then that's something I would say you know that's really the the start of it and then get with somebody wise who can guide you through all of those questions about how you can increase the value of the practice and don't wait until you have to increase the value of the practice don't wait until you have to do that because yeah. that's that's always a backward situation. And, and that's where we run into dentists that, that I know that are retiring the six years later than, than you were talking about. You know, I have a couple personally that I know that keep pushing their retirement rate out or retirement age out. And it's because of various things like divorces, unexpected children when they're older. Boy, it just, it, life comes at you. Like I said, it's not anything you can predict. So you, you want to have all your ducks in a row before that happens. Yeah. The, so it, and, and in case that you're driving and, and you're, you didn't get a chance to write it down, if you go to uh, Reese's page, is dentistadvisors.com. And I found this on the financial planning page. So they have a whole slew of videos. Actually, they have a whole bunch of information for you. So I recommend spending some time on the site. I wanted to ask you, though, because we're talking about all the things that you can do. There are a lot of things that I see dentists trying to do as far as outsourcing, and it ends up blowing back at them. And just, you know, I don't want to go into a lot of this, but basically tell me one or two things that a dentist really shouldn't take in-house, like really is almost a, a fool's, you know, folly that, that they're in, embarking on. Well, there's some practice stuff and some personal stuff, but I feel like anytime it has to do with getting organized, like with financial stuff, you should never try to do that on your own because it's just too cheap to outsource. And it's super expensive uh, to do it internally. So like just getting mm -hmm. organized, our, that's what our base level product does. At a base level, you will not be able, like financial planning, all it is is like it's organizing and then it's deciding on things, those 300 things I was talking about. There's a lot of them, but and then yeah. there's acting, yeah. like implementing. It was a whole nother thing. So you got organize me, decide things, and then go get them done. You can't leave any one of these three areas out. They're all really essential. But I don't think you should ever try to organize yourself completely from a financial perspective, because whether it's bookkeeping of your own finances, whether it's building your personal financial statement and can, like specifically what I'm referring to is building a comprehensive view or a complete view of your total picture. You should not try to build that on your own because it's very time consuming and you'll, you'll do it in an incomplete way that's missing some key information. I'm trying to build an app that'll let you do this. It's going to take me a year to finish it and you'll be able to help this, this app will help you get organized for now. It's you, we do it at a, we do it inexpensively using our app internally to help organize people so that they they can really feel confident that they're not missing. For example, how can you make good loan decisions on interest rates if you don't know your prepayment penalties, your current interest rates and how those are being calculated, the remaining years on each loan and the current principal and interest amortization on each loan? Like if you don't know 
the exact details of every debt you have. How could you decide if you should refinance, pay down debt, add debt, wipe out debt? Like even if you only have one loan, you can't decide on, you can't go to step two, right? We had three steps, organize, decide, and act. Well, you can't make a decision about debt if it's not really organized. And someone's got to organize it because everyone always calls me and they're like, Reese, what should I do with my debt? And I'm like, I don't know. You're not organized. I can't analyze it. I don't know. You're not organized. I can't analyze it. And if you want to pay me to organize you, it's real expensive for me to organize you. So I've had to build a system to make it really easy. And now I have a lot of people that work here that organize dentists with their financial picture at a really inexpensive rate. And so that's, that's step one, organize me. Step two, decide, should you ever organize yourself in personal finance? I don't, I don't feel like you should. It's too expensive. Your time's worth too much. Should you decide to do things on your own? You should never be the only person that you run things by to make a decision. You should always have some accountability. But a lot of times the reason I don't like people making their own decisions is because they can't be objective about them. Number one, can't be objective about like, Let's say I want to build a bigger house or move or remodel my house or tear it down or do new construction or move to another city. Or if you're the only person making that decision, you really don't have like that's the one of the biggest financial decisions of your entire life. It's going to affect your happiness level moving forward, right? You'll be really happy you know, if, if you stretch a lot and kind of go overboard you'll be really happy for like 45 days. And after about 45 days of moving in, you'll be like, oh, crap. I went too big. <laughs> I went too big. Or or like I went too small. I should have like really built a new home and not just like patched together my kitchen, right? Or it, you, you, it's a hard decision to make on your own. I think you should always get some secondary opinion on a decision. The problem is knowing all the decisions to make is really complicated. And so yeah. financial planning, typically though, people are not getting organized. They're not making all the decisions. And then they're definitely not acting and following through on any of those. And that's what a good consultant, a good coach, a good advisor does is they organize you, they decide things for you, and then they act. In absence of that, without that, I, the status quo, I mean, you can bet what the status quo is, Teresa. Yeah. I mean, what's the status quo? The status quo is that they just kind of throw their hands up and, and do nothing. don't do it. They don't yeah. do anything. They you don't, don't do, do anything. anything I, and I life. get that. You never do I it. get and that. So, by doing nothing, you're saying my wealth is like, these are all decisions that were only, all, the only decisions we're making here are ones that will increase your net worth. Like those are the ones we're talking about, like how to invest, what kind of real estate to buy, how to reduce interest rates on loans, like what kind of insurance costs should you have? Like, these are all things that will grow your wealth. And if your alternative to that is do nothing, you have to remember that that's, that is what most people are doing. There's a lot of people that are haters out there saying, don't hire a consultant, don't hire a coach, don't hire a financial advisor, like do it yourself, do it yourself. The, the hard part is it's really easy to say that. And then it's really hard to make decisions and act on your own. It's really hard. It's hard to organize yourself on your own. It's hard to decide what to do. And then it's hard to act. And if your alternative is just none of those things, even if you go try to do it on your own, you're like, oh, I set up a 401k or, oh, you know what? I'm once every once in a while, I'm sitting down and thinking about my finances in a, in a spreadsheet that I have. If, <laughs> if that system isn't really organized and you're not making all the decisions, all the you know related jobs have to be covered and then you're following through and doing it all, then it just is cheaper to hire someone. I mean, it really yeah. is. And so- 
I, I just, um, I get kind of passionate about this because there's a lot of messaging out there from technology, from platform solutions that whether it's consulting or advice or blogging, it's like save money, you can do this on your own. Save money, you can do it on your own. Save money, you can do it on your own. And I just feel like a lot of these technology platforms have an incentive to tell you that. Like if they can just convince you, like take Vanguard, for example, this is going to get mm -hmm. me in big trouble. Take uh -huh. Vanguard's this big investment company, right? And it's, it has two divisions. <laughs> One of them is actually, uh, they have a paper called Advisors Alpha where you, they support like financial advisors because they have a measurable difference in client returns. Vanguard estimates that by working with a financial advisor, people's returns are almost 3% higher than they would be self-directing. Just because of behavior mostly, yeah. mostly because of behavior. Yeah, and Vanguard publishes this research. Google it now, Vanguard Advisors Alpha. You'll see a whole set of research papers on this, which sounds surprising coming from a company that espouses self-directed investing and going directly to the consumer. So half of their business is supporting advisors and half is supporting the consumer. On the consumer side, what do you think they tell them all the time? You can do this on your own. You can do this. You can do this on your own. You can do it on your own. On the advisor side, they're like, find a good advisor, find a good advisor. Your behavior is going to kill you. You're not going to retire. What, do they care? They don't care how they want, they're going to get your money. They don't care how your money shows up. They just want your money. So they're telling wow. two different audiences, completely different stories, because they know that one audience resonates with one message and the other audience resonates with another one. And I'm just saying like, you can be either person, but the, the, on the self-directed side, if you're not making decisions and taking action and all you're doing is feeling good because you didn't hire someone and you're sitting there, Vanguard is just as happy because your money's parked there. They've convinced you never to do anything with it, but let it sit there and avoid hiring someone. So it's kind of like this mecca of like, you know, they, they can preach that message and they know they're locking up your money forever because the message was come over here and don't just avoid hiring people. <laughs> It's like, yeah, no, it okay. works for them. I mean, the money is there. They anyway. don't have to worry about it. It's there. Yeah, they're that making all their money. The money sitting there is the way they make their money. So right. if they can convince you right. not to do anything with it, then it lowers their trading costs. It lowers their staffing costs. I mean, their customer service people could be getting paid $5 an hour and it wouldn't matter because you're not going to call them because you've just convinced this whole swath of people that there's nothing that they can do but lower their fees. <laughs> so Nobody wants anyway. to call anybody. Anyways, nobody yeah. wants to call. They all want to do live chat. Now they got so many bots for that. Yeah, so it, yeah, 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 exactly. Stick them on a yeah. live chat, outsource it. I wanted to talk to you about the retirement plan because, um, I, you know, I shared earlier, my boss is the one who got me into investing, my former boss. And I will always, always be grateful for him doing that. You know, we would go across the street and have lunch at this this bar, cool. restaurant place. And, and, you know, I would read the style section. He would read the business section. And okay. <laughs> one day I was like, what is he reading? Like, why is he so into it? You know, and, and he just started teaching me the stocks and mutual funds. And, you know, my first stock ever was Exxon and that was at a really young age and it was paid its own oh, dividend. Cool. Yeah, it was really cool. It split a couple of times. We were really excited. We were able to buy our house with that down payment. But the reason I bring that up is because I was lucky. I had a boss who wanted to make sure I could retire with him, you know, and I still do part-time work with him. I mean, that's how good of a guy he is. Um, and he's cool. done the same with his other employees. You know, he set up really good retirement plans for them because he knows that we're giving him the best years of our lives and we should have something to show for that. So what, 
what can a dentist who feels the same way for their staff? You know, I have a lot of team members that listen to this as well. And young dentists, you know, we talked about the fact that turnover hurts. So what can you do retirement wise to really make that a benefit? And I really think that that's a huge benefit to being employed. You know, that's, that's something that's going to keep someone from going around because a good retirement plan, first of all, our industry doesn't offer it very often. And when you find a dentist, who is, you know, dedicated to that. I, I think that's, that says a lot about the dentist. So do you see dentists incorporating that and really using that as a driver for, for the plans they select? Yeah, I think we really try to incur, like de- most of our clients look at providing a retire, like their 401k or their retirement account, like a benefit they're trying to provide to their staff as much as it is a way for them to save more money. But they try to hire us to actually have interactions with a lot of their team members because some of them aren't quite as maybe informed as your boss was or maybe as capable to talk about investments. Um, some of them, some dentists are, and they're probably doing those, having those kind of conversations. But we, we feel like it's really important as an employer to provide your employees with that continuing education that they need to make good decisions. And so, you know, I I think that's Mm -hmm. whether it's your current financial advisory firm offering that service or if if it's you doing it um, through the the meetings like Teresa's old boss did. I mean, I just think employees really appreciate it a ton. We have a very specific process we go through that helps these employees get organized and helps them. It's it's a different service model completely because they don't have the level of complexity as the boss does. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. You're you're hitting on a really key topic. And I think team team members really know if you're investing in them or not. I think nothing can take the response or the, the place of the time though that your former employer spent with you. And I think that speaks volumes. Like Mondays are my days where I have team meetings and I only have time for mm-hmm. like 15 minutes you know, an employee, but I mean, it's the entire day back to back outside of this call. I've got, you know, 15 minutes, every 15 minutes of the day, all day where, you know, that's the value I can provide as an employer is taking some time for dentists that might be like, okay, well, I I don't have that much time on a day. Well, yeah, that's fine. You can do lunches, Mm -hmm. right? You can do lunches periodically, maybe once a month, maybe once a quarter, even like once a quarter with each team member would be a huge improvement over what most people are spending. So I think the time you spend with people to just share your experience, advice, and and how much you care, um, and then potentially hiring a service that can interact with your team uh, to provide them with the type of advice they're looking for. I mean, they'll just value it a ton, but the time you spend, I think, is critical. They feel it. They love it. They want your time. They, and they're grateful for it because they know how busy you are. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, and I'm glad to hear that that's, um, that's something that your, your team, you know, goes over because you, you know, obviously you realize it's, it's a big deal too. And uh, yeah, I have a hard time with, you know, dentists are having a hard time retaining good team members. You, you know, it. we talked about it. I think it's a real big issue in our industry that until we fix that, you're looking at lost revenue you got to nail that down. That's that's just the, the bottom line to it. Yeah. Totally. Um, so that that's good to know that you're you're paying attention to that. How often do you meet with your team? I mean, tell me about the inside dealings of of the dentist advisors. How often are you meeting with your team to come up with new products to you know customer satisfaction? What does that look like in your day? well? Our service model when people sign, when a dentist signs up for our service model, they're actually paired with a financial advisor that. Um, gets them onboarded into our system, gets a complete and accurate like view of their entire situation in our dashboard. 
So we can see what all their loans are at, where all their bank accounts are at, where their net worth is, like what are they worth today, add up their practice value. We get them all in, onboarded. And then from there, it's actually, we have this really cool video system that we found that dentists want advice from us proactively. And so the best way for us to give them advice is we have a process where our advisors come in and every month they're tackling a subject that has a ton of questions in it for each client and they record personal videos direct one-to-one. -one. So one advisor to one client about the client's information. So you can see the advisor's face and you can see his screen and you can see the advice he's giving you and the stuff he's recommending that he change or she change uh, relating to your situation. And so clients get this kind of feed of videos in their phone and they just get to watch them and respond and chat and kind of communicate with their advisor through this feed. And that's where we found the most success is that clients watch these videos in between patients uh, during lunch, after work. Um, they call back and have phone calls when they have time. We're, you know, our advisors are accessible to reach their, uh, anytime, even after hours. Like that's one of the value of a financial advisor is like you're paying for that person to pick up when you call, whenever you want to call. We make ourselves accessible. We record, I mean, every day advisors are coming in, they're, they're bringing up a client, they're focusing on a, a project for that month. So January, we focus on savings goals and savings rate measurements. In February, we're looking at uh, your personal spending. In March, we're looking at insurance. In April, we're talking about real estate. Uh, in May, we're talking about your practice valuation and, and practice uh, growth statistics. And in June, we're looking at all the things related to your debt and so on. And, you know, we just rotate throughout the year, all these important subjects and questions. And then our advisors communicate back and forth with their clients. As far as team meetings that I have, these 15-minute meetings with a ton of team members, but then I have executive meetings throughout the week. And definitely, like, meetings are most of my life now. So I spend most of my time <laughs> in meetings. And I, I like it because I, I don't view it like a meeting. I view it like a chance for me to express how much I care about the person I'm meeting with and compliment them for all the work they're doing and collaborate on how we could make it better. And without those interactions, like work doesn't get done, you know, without them, nothing would happen. So, well, there is, there is a difference between a meeting that you want to be in and a meeting you have to be mm -hmm. in. That's a huge, huge difference. Yes. So. Yep. Totally. <laughs> I know there have been team meetings along the way that, uh, you know, you bring up OSHA and I just kind of, I melt inside That's a, a tough little bit, one. you know, it's not a good That's a tough one. <laughs> anyway, tough one. Yeah, so, cool. um, well, we are at the top of the hour here, Reese. I want to thank you very much for for being a guest, and I'm going to plug in all your links, all your, you know, all, all the ways that they can find you. And I want to tell everybody to go check out the, his podcast. It's the Dentist Money Show, and uh, I love the name of that because I love dentists and I love money and put them all together. I think it's a it's a good thing. So, so Reese, they'll find you through the podcast. And and what are your most recent topics that you've had on there? Best way to get in touch with us is just listen go to the go to dentistadvisors.com and subscribe to the podcast and then um, on the facebook page uh, if you go to dentistadvisors.com slash group um, we have a like a, a facebook group that's a private group that you could ask your own specific questions to and our whole team's like monitoring that every day so questions are coming in all the time oh, that's awesome and then we just give you feedback and that's free those two assets and resources are probably the most we have a big education library on our site where you can learn about you can, there's CE courses on there. There's topics and e-guides, videos, tons of stuff. But 
And our, our probably most, I think our most recent podcast episode that we went through was about what people are really afraid of with their money. Uh, we talked about the most dangerous animal in the world uh, and how the most dangerous animal in the world is not the animal that people think is the most dangerous. We had a little quiz on who, on oh. what people thought about, you know, that. And, and then we related it to what areas in finance are really the most dangerous parts of your finances, but things you don't think about. And so um, we talked about the, you know, about 10 areas of finance that are really kind of dangerous, overlooked areas. And then uh, we focused on, on that. It was cool. Um, so about every other episode's a guest. My last three, Rich Maddow from TBSE was there and, yeah, and we, fun. every other episode's a guest. So it was like Chris Salierno from Dental Economics, I think was recent, Bruce Baird. Guests like you, Teresa and Odyssey, that those are like the guests that are every other week. And then every mm-hmm. uh, other week is me and my team, like on a subject, like I told you about. So those are things that we do. And I think it's helpful. But you know, anytime people have questions, you can just go to that Facebook group and join there. It's pretty helpful. That That is super helpful. Uh, just because everybody now seems to go to Facebook for their advice, which is either good or bad. I can't <laughs> yeah, figure that yeah. out yet. You know, so. <laughs> gotta be there. so it's nice to have somebody who's going to give them the real skinny on there. So yeah, well, thanks. Appreciate it. Hey, I really appreciate it, Reese. And, and uh, definitely check out his information. And until the next Nobody told me that. Uh, We will see you on the flip side. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll get our next candid discussion. Visit Teresa's website, odysseymgmt.com. That's odysseymgmt.com for more information on Teresa's courses, books, and speaking schedule. Subscribe to her newsletter while you're there. Don't say we didn't tell you that.